Mark Twain, Disambiguation, Samuel Langhorn Clemens, November 30, 1835 to April 21, 1910, known by his pen name Mark Twain, was an American writer, humorist, entrepreneur, publisher, and lecturer. He was lauded as the greatest humorist this country has produced, and William Faulkner called him the father of American literature. His novels include The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, 1876, and its sequel, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, 1884, the latter often called the Great American Novel, though not known by anyone as a metaphysical thinker or author. Mark Twain was indeed operating in the perception of the great archetypes. Though perhaps little known, most of Mark Twain's stories are thoroughly metaphysical and allegorical, either imparting morality lessons or object lessons. However, Twain is gloriously famous for exposing the hypocrisy in morality and the standard method of educating our youth and selves, thus making his rough rebuke of contemporary intelligence a scathing insult that kept him happily separate from academia. The Metaphysical Theatre easily states that Mark Twain was a great metaphysician and natural mystic extraordinaire. The Metaphysical Theatre Anchor FM Podcast Name Samuel Langhorn Clemens, born November 30, 1835, Florida, Missouri, U.S. Died, April 21, 1910, aged 74. Reading, Connecticut, U.S. Resting Place, Woodlawn Cemetery, Elmira, New York, U.S. Pen name, Mark Twain, Josh, Thomas Jefferson Snodgrass. Occupation, writer, humorist, entrepreneur, publisher, lecturer. Notable works, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, Spouse, Olivia Langdon Clemens, M. 1870, died 1904. Children, four including Susie, Clara and Jean. Relatives, John Marshall Clemens, father, Orion Clemens, brother. Twain was raised in Hannibal, Missouri, which later provided the setting for Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. He served an apprenticeship with a printer and then worked as a typesetter, contributing articles to the newspaper of his older brother Orion Clemens. He later became a riverboat pilot on the Mississippi River before heading west to join Orion in Nevada. He referred humorously to his lack of success at mining, turning to journalism for the Virginia City Territorial Enterprise. His humorous story, The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County, was published in 1865, based on a story that he heard at Angel's Hotel in Angel's Camp, California, where he had spent some time as a miner. The short story brought international attention and was even translated into French. His wit and satire, in prose and in speech, earned praise from critics and peers, and he was a friend to presidents, artists, industrialists, and European royalty. Twain earned a great deal of money from his writings and lectures, but he invested in ventures that lost most of it, such as the Page Compositor, a mechanical typesetter that failed because of its complexity and imprecision. He filed for bankruptcy in the wake of these financial setbacks, but he eventually overcame his financial troubles with the help of Henry Huttleston Rogers. He eventually paid all his creditors in full, even though his bankruptcy relieved him of having to do so. Twain was born shortly after an appearance of Halley's Comet, and he predicted that he would go out with it, as well, he died the day after the comet returned. This is the Metaphysical Magical Musical Theatre Podcast on Anchor FM, free Google Play. Creator of the Metaphysical Theatre is John TVRZ and I thank you for listening. 
it is not given that this podcast is phenomenological in both Pontes and Heidegger's compatible senses, the main performer of the saga is delivering a continuous visceral narration of his most ordinary bodily activities. The body's movements, pathways, transitions, perceptions, pauses, perceptions, mistakes, mood swings, and routine errands become the very focus of the character's incessant self-examination. When the character gets a handle on the ordinary moments of the day, he begins to identify more extraordinary moments, one might say, paranormal moments. In these paranormal moments, the character is communicating telepathically with his dead family members, roaming ancestors, and famous philosophers. The masses consuming the popular content never suspecting that by its consumption their own fates were sealed. The metaphysical aspect is really meta-spiritual and all imaginary activity, alas it will never be known by this world until Neville is released from Illuminati bondage. Those cruel masters of death alone that fools worship, in ignorance of life. The Metaphysical Theatre Podcast on Anchor FM. Created by John TVRZ. Call back, you are way too deep into the life-giving depth of mind here on the Metaphysical Theatre Anchor FM podcast free on Google Play. Philosophy of Space and Time Philosophy of Space and Time is the branch of philosophy concerned with the issues surrounding the ontology, epistemology, and character of space and time. While such ideas have been central to philosophy from its inception, the philosophy of space and time was both an inspiration for an essential aspect of early analytic philosophy. The subject focuses on a number of basic issues, including whether time and space exist independently of the mind, whether they exist independently of one another, not accounts for time's apparently interrational fluid, whether times other than the present moment exist, and questions about the nature of identity, particularly the nature of identity over time. Ancient and Medieval Views the earliest recorded Western philosophy of time was expounded by the ancient Egyptian thinker Tadp, c. 265-0-2-6-0-0 BC, who said, Follow your desire as long as you live, and do not perform more than is ordered, do not lessen the time of follow and desire, for the wasting of time is an abomination to the spirit. 11th maxim of Tatva the Vedas, the earliest texts on Indian philosophy and Hindu philosophy, dating back to the late 2nd millennium BC, describe ancient Hindu cosmology, in which the universe goes through repeated cycles of creation, destruction, and rebirth, with each cycle lasting for a million, three hundred and twenty thousand, years. Ancient Greek philosophers, including Parmenides and Heraclitus, wrote essays on the nature of time. Incas regarded space and time as a single concept, named Pekka, Kudwachira, Pekka, Enara, Pekka. Plato, in the Timus, identified time with the period of motion of the heavenly bodies, and spaces that in which things come to be. Aristotle, in book the fourth of his physics, defined time as the number of changes with respect to before and after, and the place of an object as the innermost motionless boundary of that which surrounds it. In Book 11 of St. Augustine's Confessions, he ruminates on the nature of time, asking, What then is time? If no one asks me, I know. If I wish to explain it to one that asks, I know not. He goes on to comment on the difficulty of thinking about time, pointing out the inaccuracy of common speech. For but few things are there of which we speak properly. Of most things we speak improperly, still the things intended are understood. 
but Augustine presented the first philosophical argument for the reality of creation against Aristotle in the context of his discussion of time, saying that knowledge of time depends on the knowledge of the movement of things, and therefore time cannot be where error nor Crete was to measure its passing. In contrast to ancient Greek philosophers who believed that the universe had an infinite past with no beginning, medieval philosophers and theologians developed the concept of the universe having a finite past with a beginning, now known as temporal finitism. The Christian philosopher John Philoponus presented early arguments adopted by later Christian philosophers and theologians of the forum argument from the impossibility of the existence of an actual infinite, which states, an actual infinite cannot exist. An infinite temporal regress of events is an actual infinite. An infinite temporal regress of events cannot exist. In the early 11th century, the Muslim physicist Ibn al-Hatham, Alasan al-Lazan, discussed space perception and its epistemological implications in his book of Optics, 1021. He also rejected Aristotle's definition of Tapor, physics the fourth, by way of geometric demonstrations and defined places on mathematical spatial extension. His experimental proof of the intra-or-mission model of vision led to changes in the understanding of the visual perception space, contrary to the previous emission theory of vision supported by Euclid and Ptolemy. In tying the visual perception space to prior bodily experience, Ellison unequivocally rejected the intuitiveness of spatial perception and, therefore, the autonomy of vision. Without tangible notions of distance and size for correlation, sight can tell us next to nothing about such things. Realism and anti-realism A traditional realist position in ontology is that time and space have existence apart from the human mind. Idealists, by contrast, deny or doubt the existence of objects independent of the mind. Some anti-realists, whose ontological position is that objects outside the mind do exist, nevertheless doubt the independent existence of time and space. In 1781, Immanuel Kant published The Critique of Pure Reason, one of the most influential works in the history of the philosophy of space and time. He describes time as an a priori notion that, together with other a priori notions such as space, allows us to comprehend sense experience. Kant denies that either space or time or substance, entities in themselves, or learned by experience. He holds, rather, that both are elements of a systematic framework we use to structure our experience. Spatial measurements are used to quantify how far apart objects are, and temporal measurements are used to quantitatively compare the interval between, or duration of, events. Although space and time are held to be transcendentally ideal in this sense, they are also empirically real that is, not mere illusions. Idealist writers, such as J.M.E. McTaggart in The Unreality of Time, have argued that time is an illusion, see also the flow of time, below. The writers discussed here for the most part realists in this regard. For instance, Gottfried Leibniz held that his menace existed, at least independently of the mind of the observer. Absolutism and relationalism Leibniz and Newton. The great debate between defining notions of space and time as real objects themselves, absolute, or mere orderings upon actual objects, relational, began between physicists Isaac Newton, via his sportsman, Samuel Clark, and Gottfried Leibniz in the papers of the Leibniz-Clark correspondence. 
arguing against the absolutist position, Leibniz offers a number of thought experiments with the purpose of showing that there is contradiction in assuming the existence of facts such as absolute location and velocity. These arguments strayed heavily on two principles central to his philosophy, the principle of sufficient reason and the identity of indiscernibles. The principle of sufficient reason holds that for every fact, there is a reason that is sufficient to explain what and why it is the way it is and not otherwise. The identity of indiscernibles states that if there is no way of telling two entities apart, then they are one and the same thing. The example Leibniz uses involves two proposed universes situated in absolute space. The only discernible difference between them is that the latter is positioned five feet to the left of the first. The example is only possible if such a thing as absolute space exists. Such a situation, however, is not possible, according to Leibniz, for if it were, a universe's position in absolute space would have no sufficient reason, as it might very well have been anywhere else. Therefore, it contradicts the principle of sufficient reason, and there could exist two distinct universes that were in always indiscernible, thus contradicting the identity of indiscernibles. Standing out in Clark's and Newton's response to Leibniz's arguments is the bucket argument. Water in a bucket, hung from a rope and set to spin, will start with a flat surface. As the water begins to spin in a bucket, the surface of the water will become concave. If the bucket is tucked, the water will continue to spin, and while the spin continues, the surface will remain concave. The concave surface is apparently not the result of the interaction of the bucket and the water, since the surface is flat when a bucket first starts to spin, it becomes concave as the water starts to spin, and it remains concave as the bucket starts. In this response, Clark argues for the necessity of the existence of absolute space to account for a phenomena like rotation and acceleration that cannot be accounted for on a purely relationalist account. Clark argues that since the curvature of the water occurs in the rotating bucket as well as in the stationary bucket containing spinning water, it can only be explained by stating that the water is rotating in relation to the presence of some third thing absolute space. Leibniz describes a space that exists only as a relation between objects, and which has no existence apart from the existence of those objects. Motion exists only as a relation between those objects. Newtonian space provided the absolute frame of reference within which objects can have motion. In Newton's system, the frame of reference exists independently of the objects contained within it. These objects can be described as moving in relation to space itself. For many centuries, the evidence of a concave water surface held authority. Mark. Another important figure in this debate is 19th century physicist Ernst Mach. While he did not deny the existence of phenomena like that seen in the back of argument, he still denied the absolutist conclusion by offering a different answer as to what the bucket was rotating in relation to. The fixed stars. Mach suggested that thought experiments like the back of argument are problematic. If we were to imagine a universe that only contains a bucket, on Newton's account, this bucket could be set to spin relative to absolute space, and the water it contained would for any characteristic concave surface. But in the absence of anything else in the universe, it would be difficult to confirm that the bucket was indeed spinning. It seems equally possible that the surface of the water in the bucket would remain flat.
argued that, in effect, the water experiment in an otherwise empty universe would remain flat. But if another object were introduced into this universe, perhaps a distant star, there would now be something relative to which the bucket could be seen as rotating. The water inside the bucket could possibly have a slight curve. To account for the curve that we observe, an increase in the number of objects in the universe also increases the curvature in the water. Mac argued that the momentum of an object, whether angular or linear, exists as a result of the sum of the effects of other objects in the universe, Max principle. Einstein, Albert Einstein proposed that the laws of physics should be based on the principle of relativity. This principle holds that the rules of physics must be the same for all observers, regardless of the frame of reference that is used, and that light propagates at the same speed in all reference frames. This theory was motivated by Maxwell's equations, which show that electromagnetic waves propagate in a vacuum at the speed of light. However, Maxwell's equations give no indication what this speed is relative to. Prior to Einstein, it was thought that this speed was relative to a fixed medium, called the luminophoresis. In contrast, the theory of special relativity postulates that light propagates at the speed of light in all inertial frames, and examines the implications of this postulate. All attempts to measure any speed relative to this ether failed, which can be seen as a confirmation of Einstein's postulate that light propagates at the same speed in all reference frames. Special relativity is a formalization of the principle of relativity that does not contain a privileged inertial frame of reference, such as the luminophoresis or absolute space, from which Einstein inferred that no such frame exists. Einstein generalized relativity to frames of reference that were non-inertial. He achieved this by positing the equivalence principle, which states that the force felt by an observer in a given gravitational field and that felt by an observer in an accelerating frame of reference are indistinguishable. This led to the conclusion that the mass of an object warps the geometry of the space-time surrounding it, as described in Einstein's field equations. In classical physics, an inertial reference frame is one in which an object that experiences no forces does not accelerate. In general relativity, an inertial frame of reference is one that is following a geodesic of spacetime. An object that moves against a geodesic experiences a force. An object in free fall does not experience a force, because it is following a geodesic. An object standing on the Earth however, will experience a force, as it is being held against the geodesic by the surface of the planet. In light of this, the bucket of water rotating in empty space will experience a force, because it rotates with respect to the geodesic. The water will become concave, not because it is rotating with respect to the distant stars, but because it is rotating with respect to the geodesic. Einstein partially advocates Marx's principle in that distant stars explain inertia, because they provide the gravitational field against which acceleration and inertia occur. But contrary to Leibniz's account, this warped space-time is as integral a part of an object as a other defining characteristics, such as volume and mass. If one holds, contrary to idealist beliefs, that objects exist independently of the mind, it seems that relativistics commits them to also hold that space and temporality have exactly the same type of independent existence. Conventionalism 
The position of conventionalism states that there is no effect of the matter as to the geometry of space and time, but that it is decided by convention. The first proponent of such a view, Henry Pankett, reacting to the creation of the new non-Euclidean geometry, argued that which geometry applied to a space was decided by convention, since different geometries will describe a set of objects equally well, based on considerations from his sphere world. This view was developed and updated to include considerations from relativistic physics by Hans Reichenbach. Reichenbach's conventionalism, applying to space and time, focuses around the idea of coordinative definition. Coordinative definition has two major features. The first has to do with coordinating units of length with certain physical objects. This is motivated by the fact that we can never directly apprehend length. Instead we must choose some physical object, say the Standard and Territory Bureau and International Deposit Messrs, into International Bureau of Weights and Measures, or the wavelength of cadmium to stand in as our unit of length. The second feature deals with separated objects. Although we can, presumably, directly test the equality of length of two measuring rods when they are next to one another, we cannot find out as much for two rods distant from one another. Even supposing that two rods, whenever brought near to one another, are seen to be equal in length, we are not justified in stating that they are always equal in length. This impossibility undermines our ability to decide the equality of length of two distant objects. Sameness of length, to the contrary, must be said by definition. Such a use of coordinative definition is, in effect, on Reichenbach's conventionalism, in the general theory of relativity where light is assumed, that is not discovered, to mark out equal distances in equal times. After this setting of coordinative definition, however, the geometry of space-time is set, as in the absolutism-slash-relationalism debate, contemporary philosophy is still in disagreement as to the correctness of the conventionalist doctrine structure of space-time, building from a mix of insights from the historical debates of absolutism and conventionalism as well as reflecting on the import of the technical apparatus of the general theory of relativity, details as to the structure of space-time have made up a large proportion of discussion within the philosophy of space and time, as well as the philosophy of physics. The following is a short list of topics. Relativity of simultaneity. According to special relativity each point in the universe can have a different set of events that compose its present instant. This has been used in the Rutledge-Potlum argument to demonstrate that relativity predicts a black universe in which events are fixed in four dimensions, invariance versus covariance, bringing to bear the lessons of the absolutism-slash-relationalism debate with the powerful mathematical tools invented in the 19th and 20th century. Michael Friedman draws a distinction between invariance upon mathematical transformation and covariance upon transformation. Invariance, or symmetry, applies to objects, that is the symmetry group of a space-time theory designates what features of objects are invariant, or absolute, and which are dynamical, or variable. Covariance applies to formulations of theories, that is the covariance group designates in which range of coordinate systems the laws of physics hold. This distinction can be illustrated by revisiting Leibniz's thought experiment, in which the universe is shifted over 5 feet. In this example the position of an object is seen not to be a property of that object, that is location is not invariant. 
Similarly, the covariance group for a classical mechanics would be any coordinate systems that are obtained from one another by shifts in position as well as other translations allowed by a Galilean transformation. In the classical case, the invariance or asymmetry group and the covariance group coincide, but, interestingly enough, they part ways in relativistic physics. The symmetry group of the general theory of relativity includes all different terrible transformations, that is, all properties of an object are dynamical, in other words there are no absolute objects. The formulations of the general theory of relativity, unlike those of classical mechanics, do not share a standard, that is, there is no single formulation paired with transformations. As such the covariance group of the general theory of relativity is just the covariance group of every theory. Historical frameworks. A further application of the immaterial mathematical methods, in league with the idea of invariance and covariance groups, is to try to interpret historical views of space and time in modern mathematical language. In these translations, a theory of space and time is seen as a manifold paired with vector spaces, the more vector spaces the more facts there are about objects in the tr theory. The historical development of space-time theories is generally seen to start from a position where many facts about objects are incorporated in the tr theory, and as history progresses, more and more structure is removed. For example, Aristotelian space and time has both absolute position and special places, such as the center of the cosmos, and the circumference. Newtonian space and time has absolute position and is Galilean invariant, but does not have special positions. Halls. With the general theory of relativity, the traditional debate between absolutism and relationalism has been shifted to whether a space-time is a substance, since the general theory of relativity largely rules out the existence of, for instance, absolute positions. One powerful argument against space-time substantivalism, offered by Jan Irman is known as the whole argument. This is a technical mathematical argument that can be paraphrased as follows. Define a function d as the identity function over all elements over the manifold n, excepting a small neighborhood h belonging to m over hd comes to differ from identity by a smoother function. With use of this function d, we can construct two mathematical models, where the second is generated by applying d to proper elements of the first, such that the two models are identical prior to the time t equals zero, where t is a time function created by a foliation space-time, but diff after t equals zero. These considerations show that, since substantivalism allows the construction holds, that the universe must, on that view, be indeterministic. Which, Irman argues, is a case against substantivalism, as the case between determinism or indeterminism should be a question of physics, not of our commitment to substantivalism. Direction time. The problem of the direction time arises directly from two contradictory facts. Firstly, the fundamental physical laws of time reversal invariant. If a cinematographic film were taken of any process described or by means of the aforementioned laws and then played backwards, it would still portray a physically possible process. Secondly, our experience of time, at the microscopic level, is not time reversal invariant. Glasses can fall and break, but shards of glass cannot reassemble and fly up onto tables. We have memories of the past, and none of the future. We feel we can't change the past but can influence the future. Causation solution. 
One solution to this problem takes a metaphysical view, in which the direction of time follows from an asymmetry of causation. We know more about the past, because the elements of the past are causes for the effect that is our perception. We feel we can't affect the past and can affect the future, because we can't affect the past and can affect the future. There are two main objections to this view. First is the problem of distinguishing the cause from the effect in a non-arbitrary way. The use of causation in constructing a temporal ordering could easily become circular. The second problem with this view is its explanatory power. While the causation account, if successful, may account for a sometime asymmetric phenomena like perception and action, it does not account for many others. However, asymmetry of causation can be observed in a non-arbitrary way which is not metaphysical in the case of a human hand dropping a cup of water which smashes into fragments on a hard floor spilling the liquid. In this order, the causes of the resultant pattern of cup fragments and water spill is easily attributable in terms of the trajectory of the cup, irregularities in its structural angle of its impact on the flora, etc. However, applying the same event in reverse, it is difficult to explain why the various pieces of the cup should fly up into the human hand and reassemble precisely into the shape of a cup, or why the water should position itself entirely within the cup. The causes of the resultant structure and shape of the cup and the encapsulation of the water by the hand within the cup are not easily attributable, as neither hand nor flora can achieve such formations of the cup or water. This asymmetry is perceivable on account of two features. I, the relationship between the agent capacities of the human hand, that is, what it is and is not capable of and what it is for, and non-animal agency, that is, not flowers are and are not capable of and what they are for, and E, that the pieces of cup came to possess exactly the nature and number of those of a cup before the form. In short, such asymmetry is attributable to the relationship between temporal direction on the one hand and the implications of form and functional capacity on the other. The application of these ideas of form and functional capacity only dictates temporal direction in relation to complex scenarios involving specific, non-metaphysical agency which is not merely dependent on human perception of time. However, this last observation in itself is not sufficient to invalidate the implications of the example for the progressive nature of time in general. Through a more dynamic solution, the second major family of solutions to this problem, and by far the one that has generated the most literature, finds the existence of the direction of time as relating to the nature of thermodynamics. The answer from classical thermodynamics states that while our basic physical theory is, in fact, time reversal symmetric, thermodynamics is not. In particular, the second law of thermodynamics states that the net entropy of a closed system never decreases, and this explains why we often see glass breaking, but not coming back together. But in statistical mechanics things become more complicated. On one hand, statistical mechanics is far superior to classical thermodynamics, in that thermodynamic behavior, such as glass breaking, can be explained by the fundamental laws of physics paired with a statistical postulate. But statistical mechanics, unlike classical thermodynamics, is time reversal symmetric. The second law of thermodynamics, as it arises in statistical mechanics, merely states that it is overwhelmingly likely that net entropy will increase, but it is not an absolute law. 
current thermodynamic solutions to the problem of the direction of time and to find some further fact or feature of the laws of nature to account for this discrepancy. Laws solution. A third type of solution to the problem of the direction of time, although much less represented, argues that the laws are not time reversal symmetric. For example, certain processes in quantum mechanics relating to the weak nuclear force are not time-reversible, keeping in mind that when dealing with quantum mechanics time-reversibility comprises a more complex definition. But this type of solution is insufficient because 1. The time asymmetric phenomena in quantum mechanics are too few to account for the uniformity of macroscopic time asymmetry and 2. It relies on the assumption that quantum mechanics is the final or correct description of physical processes. One recent proponent of the law's solution is Tim Wobblin who argues that the fundamental laws of physics are laws of temporal evolution, see Wobblin 2007. However, elsewhere Morgan argues, the passage of time is an intrinsic asymmetry in the temporal structure of the world, it is the asymmetry that grounds the distinction between sequences that runs from past to future and sequences which run from future to past. Thus it is arguably difficult to assess whether a modeling is suggesting that the direction of time is a consequence of the laws or is itself primitive. Flow of time. The problem of the flow of time, as it has been treated in analytic philosophy, or is its beginning to a paper written by J.M.E. McTaggart. In this paper McTaggart proposes two temporal series. The first series, which means to account for our intuitions about temporal becoming, or the moving now, is called the A-series. The A-series orders events according to their being in the past, present or future, simpliciter and in comparison to each other. The V-series eliminates all reference to the present and the associated temporal modalities of past and future and orders all events by the temporal relations earlier than and later than. McTaggart, in his paper The Unreality of Time, argues that time is unreal since A, the A-series is inconsistent and B, the V-series alone cannot account for the nature of time as the A-series describes an essential feature of it. Building from this framework, two camps of solution have been offered. The first, the a-theorist solution, takes becoming as the central feature of time, and tries to construct the b-series from the a-series by offering an account of how b-facts come to be out of effects. The second camp, the b-theorist solution, takes as decisive McTaggart's arguments against the a-series and tries to construct the a-series out of the b-series, for example, by temporal indexicals, dualities. Quantum field theory models have shown that it is possible for theories in two different space-time backgrounds, like AD-CFTRT duality, to be equivalent. Prisantism and Eternalism According to Prisantism, time is an ordering of various realities. At a certain time some things exist and others do not. This is the only reality we can deal with and we cannot, for example, say that Homer exists because at the present time he does not. An eternalist, on the other hand, holds that time is a dimension reality on a par with the three spatial dimensions, and hence that all things past, present, and future can be said to be just as real as things in the present. According to this theory, then, Homer will really exist, or we must still use special language when talking about somebody who exists at a distant time just as we would use special language when talking about something far away, the very words near, near far, above, below, and such are directly comparable to phrases such as in the past, a minute ago, and so on. 
endurantism and protuberantism. The positions on the persistence of objects are somewhat similar. An endurantist holds that for an object to persist through time is for it to exist completely at different times, each instance of existence we can regard as somehow separate from previous and future instances, or still numerically identical with them. A Purdurantist, on the other hand, holds that for a thing to exist through time is for it to exist as a continuous reality, and that when we consider the thing as a whole we must consider an aggregate of all its temporal parts or instances of existing. Endurantism is seen as the conventional view and flows out of our pre-philosophical ideas. When I talk to somebody I think I am talking to the person as a complete object, and not just to part of a cross-temporal being, but Purdurantists have attacked this position. An example of a Purdurantist is David Lewis. One argument Purdurantists use to state the superiority of that view is that Purdurantism is able to take account of change in objects. The relations between these two questions mean that only whole Purdurantists are also Endurantists and Eternalists are also Purdurantists, and vice versa, but this is not a necessary connection and it is possible to claim, for instance, that time's passage indicates a series of ordered realities, but that objects within these realities somehow exist outside of the reality as a whole, even with the realities as wholes are not related. However, such positions are rarely adopted, and also called knowledge laws at correct times in wisdom apply directly. Jesus Christ is human imagination, allowing all release and empty vessel filled with real worth. The metaphysical theater is brought to you by Anchor FM podcasting application for mobile, free on Google Play. Metaphysical Theater Magicon Anchor FM Podcasting App Free and Google Play. Today we go full-blown symbolism, monism. The circle dot was used by the Pythagoreans and later Greeks to represent the first metaphysical being, the monad or the absolute. Monism is the view that attributes oneness are singleness, Greek, to it concept, for instance, existence. Various kinds of monism can be distinguished. Priority monism states that all existing things go back to a source that is distinct from them, for instance, in your Platonism everything is derived from the one. In this view only one thing is ontologically basic or a priority to everything else. Existence monism posits that, strictly speaking, there exists only a single thing, for instance, the universe, which can only be artificially and arbitrarily divided into many things. Substance monism, staff monism, asserts that a variety of existing things can be explained in terms of a single reality or a substance. Substance monism posits that only one kind of stuff, for instance, matter or mind, exists, although many things may be made out of this stuff. Definitions. There are two sorts of definitions for monism. The white definition. A philosophy is monistic if it postulates unity of origin of all things. All existing things returned to a source that is distinct from them. The restricted definition. This requires not only unity of origin but also unity of substance and essence. Although determinism is derived from Western philosophy to typify positions in the mind-body problem, it has also been used to typify religious traditions. In modern Hinduism, the term absolute monism is being used for Edward H. Venter. History. 
The term Manism was introduced in the 18th century by Christian von Wolf, in his work Logic, 1728, to designate types of philosophical thought in which the attempt was made to eliminate the dichotomy of body and mind and explain all phenomena by one unifying principle or as manifestations of a single substance. The mind-body problem in philosophy examines the relationships between mind and matter, and in particular the relationships between consciousness and the brain. The problem was addressed by René Descartes in the 17th century, resulting in Cartesian dualism, and by purist philosophers in Avicennian philosophy, and in earlier Asian and more specifically Indian traditions. It was later also applied to the theory of absolute identity set forth by Hegel and Schelling. Thereafter the term was more broadly used for any theory postulating a unifying principle. The important thesis dualism also was broadened to include pluralism. According to Aronson, as a result of this extended use, the term is systematically ambiguous. According to Jonathan Schaeffer, monism lost popularity due to the emergence of analytical philosophy in the early 20th century, which revolted against the Nihilians. Kernick and Ira, who were strong proponents of positivism, ridiculed the whole question of incoherent mysticism. The mind-body problem has re-emerged in social psychology and related fields, with the interest in mind-body interaction and the rejection of Cartesian mind-body dualism in the identity thesis, a modern form of monism. Monism is also still relevant to the philosophy of mind, where various positions are defended. Philosophy. Types. A diagram with neutral monism compared to Cartesian dualism, physicalism and idealism. Different types of monism include substance monism, the view that the apparent plurality of substances is due to different states or appearances of a single substance attributed monism, the view that whatever the number of substances, there of a single ultimate kind partial monism, within a given realm of being, however many there may be, there is only one substance existence monism, the view that there is only one concrete object token, the one, a remolnad, Priority monism, the whole is prior to its parts are the world has parts, but the parts are dependent fragments of an integrated whole lightless the metaphysical theater anchor FM podcast hosting mobile app, Google Play Store free. Property monism, the view that all properties are of a single type, for instance, only physical properties exist, genus monism, the doctrine that there is a highest category, for instance, being views contrasting with monism are Metaphysical dualism, which asserts that there are two ultimately irreconcilable substances or realities such as good and evil, for example, manichaeism, metaphysical pluralism, which asserts three or more fundamental substances or realities. Metaphysical nihilism negates any of the above categories, substances, properties, concrete objects, etc. Monism in modern philosophy of mind can be divided into three broad categories. Idealist, mentalistic monism, which holds that only mind or spirit exists. Neutral monism, which holds that one sort of thing fundamentally exists, to which both the mental and the physical can be reduced. Material monism, also called physicalism and materialism, which holds that the material world is primary, and consciousness arises through the interaction with the material world. A eliminative materialism, according to which everything is physical and mental things do not exist. We rich to physicalism, according to which mental things do exist and are a kind of physical thing. Certain positions 
functions do not fit easily into the above categories, such as functionalism, anomalous monism, and reflexive monism. Moreover, they do not define the meaning of real. But certainly you know what's real, don't you? Monistic philosophers, pre-Socratic, while the lack of information makes it difficult in some cases to be sure of the details, the following pre-philosophers thought in monistic terms. Ailes, water, Anaximander, AP Ryan, meaning the undefined infinite. Reality is some, one thing, but we cannot know what, and Zacrosimus, error, Heraclitus, change, symbolized by fire, in that everything is in constant flux. Paranonists argued that being or reality is an unloving perfect sphere, unchanging, undivided. Paulist Socrates, the Pythagoreans such as Apollonius of Tiana, central to the cosmologies are the more had one. Stoicals taught that there is only one substance, identified as God. Middle Platonism under such works as those by Nis taught that the universe emanates from the more had one. Neoid Platonism is monistic. Plotinus taught that there was an ineffable transcendent God, the one of which subsequent realities were emanations. From the one emanates the divine mind, Ness, the cosmic soul, psyche, and the world, cosmos. Vibration podcast, metaphysical frequency modulation anchor theater. This is JOHNTVRZ.com and I am the originator of the metaphysical theater music in your head.